I'm SJ. I'm AJ. And we the Connected Experience. Hey, bro, what's the Connected Experience? The Connected Experience where we take two people from the same walk of life who went down different paths. We connect them with each other in hopes that they do business together. But what we also been doing lately, as you know, sometimes we got special guests. And with the special guests, we just want you to get connected with them because they out here doing something in the streets and in the industry, in the world that we feel like that you should be connected with. You got a book pick for the uh, episode? Yeah, I definitely got a book pick. My book pick of the episode is Land of Opportunity, One Family. Quest for the American Dream in the oh, wow. Age of Crack by William A. Uh, William M. Adler. <clears throat> Excuse me. This book is a graphic detail of the accounts of the life and time of Billy Joe Chambers and Larry Chambers and the rest of the Chambers brothers. The Chambers brothers was a drug organization that inspired the movie New Jack City. A must read for anyone looking for a real life story about brothers hustling to make nothing out of something. Interesting fact. What? Charles Chris Henson from To Crutch a Predator fame was the one who actually broke the Chambers brothers story when he played the now infamous video of the Chambers brothers flaunting their cash on. On TV, money, yeah. money, money, money. Yeah, and what's crazy is like they said that they couldn't wait to get home and watch it to see who they was talking about. Do, and it do, ended up do you them. do you guys know that I interviewed Billy Joe Chambers for like eight hours and I actually yeah. went to Arkansas. Yeah. Interviewed him there also. Yeah, so yeah, y'all yeah. hear that voice. Y'all hear that we voice. got a special guest in the house, man. We got Al, Al Prophet. Al, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Well, as these two gentlemen uh, said, I'm Al Prophet, documentary filmmaker from Detroit. Many moons ago, me and these guys made a music video. Definitely, definitely. Back when we were in the trenches in Inkster in Detroit. Um, now we're in the, the CBS building in L.A. In L.A., doing good. And um, so I have a new project out, American Dope Season 1. Um, so I've done quite a few gangster documentaries, and I wanted to bring them to a close by understanding what goes on at the highest levels of crime, which of course means exploring the role of the U.S. government in the global drug trade. Definitely, definitely. So we go get into Al Prophet's story because a lot of people know Al Prophet from them documentaries, but his story is way deeper than them documentaries. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like he mentioned that he actually shot our first music video, which was uh, entitled "I'm Doing, Doing What, what I, I do. do." That was years ago. But Al, tell us about your life growing up in Detroit. Like we just go get into your story, like strictly like you because people so used to you interviewing people like they might not know about you so tell us about your story well so there's always you have to pick and choose what you want to talk about but i will say this so it's interesting i mean those of us that grew up in quote unquote bad neighborhoods you know you grew up in a bad neighborhood but as i went on to get a graduate degree in uh, economics and i was working at wayne state university which is in detroit and I was doing statistical analysis for the city of Detroit. Some of that involved the Detroit Police Department. And I began to research crime all around the country. And I came to find out that not only was I from a bad neighborhood, <laughs> I was from one of the absolute most dangerous places in the entire United States, Highland Park, Michigan. Uh, birthplace of the assembly line where the Model T was built. And now just an assembly line of death. Um, I went to Detroit Public Schools, did various other things, both good and bad, in the uh, former city known as Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's crazy is we used to have to go to Highland Park every summer when we were uh, young. I had an auntie. Who, so, put, who put that punishment on? <laughs> so I have an aunt who's very close in age with my mom. So my grandma's little sister is closer in age with my mother. And we would go to Highland Park like every uh, every summer for about three summers. And then like with us being from Inkster, we found out like Highland Park and Inkster are so similar because they so small in proximity. But we, and they also are are really company towns that yeah, Ford yeah, yeah. built. And for those who don't know, I'm sure you know the history of Inkster. But yeah. Inkster was specifically built by Henry Ford for Ford. his black workers, so they wouldn't go to school with the white kids. That's yeah. right. And Highland Park was sort of built for all the other immigrants. And you know what? What's crazy? A lot of people don't know too is the same person, Robert Inkster, owned the both land. Of them. Yeah. He founded both of those cities. Well, I bet you there's something you don't know. If you heard, okay, for you music fans, you've heard of the Muscle Shoals sound, right? It yeah. was that southern rock sound from the 70s. Yeah. Well, Muscle Shoals is a city in Alabama. Yeah. Muscle Shoals has the exact same city blueprint as Highland Park because Muscle Shoals was built around a Ford plant, and it's an exact replica of Highland Park. Yeah, yeah interesting fact. That's interesting crazy. fact. That's so interesting fact. we go talk about uh, what was the first rap video you remember seeing? Seeing in my life? Yeah. Who? Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the message or something. I mean, I certainly remember 
strongly, you know, out, so I'm born in 75, so when rap was kind of starting to go mainstream, 85, 86, you know, LL Cool J, I'm Bad, yeah. uh, Walk This Way, yeah. but I think I can vaguely remember some stuff before that, and I definitely remember when the when the box came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the box, yeah. A lot. Of, I, I heard they bringing that back. I've been seeing stuff like that just say the box and like explain what it used to be because a lot of people don't really know, like the box is where you order the video you want to see. It was a video jukebox, so, <laughs> yeah. in your, so say a city like Detroit might have been divided into, I don't know, 30 zones. Yeah. And you call the phone number and you pay two ninety nine, and they played the video you <laughs> right, chose. Yep. And that's how a lot of people used to juke the system and get their video Well, that was played. my first exposure to payola. Yeah. Because yeah, I would yeah, wonder, yeah. like, why does the same song get keep getting played 50 yeah. times in a row? It's because yeah. somebody was buying it, the yeah. record company. Right. So you mentioned that you went to uh, Wayne State or you... Uh, I went to University of Michigan for undergraduate yeah. economics degree, and then I went to Wayne State and yeah. got a and, master's And that's degree. when we met you. I remember, I think you was... I uh, just completed my master's in yeah, yep. yeah. So, how did you know, like early on, like that you were good with numbers? Because that would be what statistics is, right? Uh, well, actually, I mean, you know, I'm involved in creative stuff now. I mean, uh, I've been uh, unsuccessful in some parts of life, but yeah, yeah. in academics, I've always done well, both um, with the spoken language, written language, and um, numbers. In fact, I'd say really math's my second strongest thing. But okay, I didn't want to. I don't feel like a university setting is what you need to develop your creative arts. Yeah. I mean, maybe to some degree, yeah. but economics is a is an amazing to plug economics if I can. Is yeah. it? It's the yeah. best major. <laughs> economics is great. It teaches you critical thinking skills. Yeah. It teaches you numbers, but also how to write a paper. And it, but again, it really teaches you critical thinking skills because what economics is, it's the science of human decision making. Okay. So money is just a proxy for how we make decisions. Why are you willing to pay three dollars for this slice of apple pie, but you'll pay five dollars for someone else's slice of apple okay. pie because you like it more? Right. So like why? high school did you go to? Went to Cass Tech. Oh, so you, you like, been best schools since well, the jump, huh? I mean, not to be funny, but, like, as I, you know, got older and I've been exposed to around the country and around the world, I mean, the, the fact that, like, a school like Cass Tech, which was okay, but the fact that that's in Detroit considered a, a really good yeah. school... I mean, I know what was going on there. It makes me wonder what the hell was going on at the other schools because now yeah. that lot went out of cash. <laughs> and you, you want to know what's crazy? Back in the day, before you can go to Inkster High. Now, my High, grandmother went to Cass way back in yeah, the day. Yeah, and before you something. can go to Inkster High, you used to have to, to go, go to Cass Tech because yep. Inkster High was uh, 11th and 12th. Because Inkster High, a lot of people oh, don't know. Oh, that was also like a. Now, this would have been what, in the 60s yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was because a long that was time one ago. of the first. Oh, you had to get accepted to Cass to go to Inkster High. Oh wow! So so if you're an Inkster resident, you'd have to go all the way downtown. Well, no, downtown no, no. Detroit. If he was coming, like trying oh, to come, oh, oh, it, it was oh, supposed to be. In. Yeah, okay. it was supposed. It was supposed to be like one of them like prestigious Magnet, schools. Blah, yeah, blah. yeah, take but, a test to get in. Yeah, so. but now you know it ain't even. It don't. Yeah, even, it don't it's even, it's even, not even there. No, no, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. got rid of it. Like they. Uh, That's the fastest I ever seen them tear down. Yeah, they high school or junior high and divided it up. Well, they must have had some plans for the land. Yeah, it's probably gonna be end up being some condos, yeah, or something like that. You know how it go. So, what was your introduction? to the entertainment industry? Ooh, introduction. Well, let's see. Um, well, as we know, living in the hood is always entertainment. You got to <laughs> go outside yeah. and create a persona <laughs> for yourself. Um, my, f my, f my father worked for the city of Detroit. I mean, he didn't do any of this professionally, but he... Uh, um, he's 72 now. He just recently stopped. Would always go and play... Uh, conga drums, kind of semi-professionally in the band around Detroit. Yeah. Um, my aunt made an entire career being a professional dancer in New York City and yeah. not a stripper. Uh, yeah, that's right. A real dancer. Like an yeah, Alvin yeah. Ailey ballet, very yeah, prestigious yeah. things. She still does that. Um, my mother had ballet training as a, as a youth. Um, so I was always kind of around the arts and, you know, always and uh, as far as me doing stuff I was always interested in being a filmmaker but um, the idea of going to college to major in film is kind of ridiculous so again I majored in economics right. and and then you know as I was, I was getting my uh, graduate degree in economics I was like well let me you know I want to try to get back in, into this movie stuff so I, I bought a, a little camcorder 
And I just started making little rap videos in Detroit. I said, so instead of paying to go to film school, I'm going to get these guys to pay me. Right, right. So speaking of Including rap video. the two of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Hey, yo, hey, we still love that video to this day. What Do was the what first music video that you ever shot? Oh, it was called, it was with me and Mac Nichols. Yeah, Those yeah, Detroit yeah. Know Mac Nichols and, and his cousin, uh, Boozu. The three of us were like a little groupers. I don't know. I was, <laughs> that was like my name. Rap, that was my rap name, Al Prophet. We did a song called Mac Nichols Gang. And uh, I it was like just a practice video, but it came out kind of good. Yeah. In it, my father assassinates Mac Nichols in the video. <laughs> So every time I mention Mac Nichols, my father always says, I thought I killed him. <laughs> so, but that came out pretty good. And then some people saw it. And I think the first person, oh, the first like video I did for somebody was the Lodge Boys. Oh, okay. Work. Uh, work. Yep. Okay. That was yeah, the first yeah. video I, I did that video. for somebody. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so after shooting that video, I mean, like, your name got to pop in real heavy because you did a lot of work with Stretch Money. Like, yep, uh, yeah, definitely, Stretch yep, Money, you definitely did Stretch Boys Money. Boys and Stretch Money videos, really, especially Stretch Money, because I did a few with them, got me. And then I would always, I don't know if I was smart or lucky or just being myself or a little bit of all of it, but I would always put myself standing in the background of the video. I put my name on it so people knew who Al Prophet was. Right, you put a name with the face early. I right? put a face, my face was in the video. So people were like, <laughs> well, who's that? That's not a stretch money. Why is he standing behind him? And then you just directed by it, and then people said, oh, that must be Al Prophet. So, right, right. you know, brand yourself. I will I say that to people. Whatever you're doing, Brand yourself. Now that also means you have to be willing to take what comes with that. But right, right. So like, uh, what what years we talking that that Lodge Boys video came out? Oh, what, what, what? five, six. Yeah. Oh, five, oh, six. And then stretch money like followed right behind that. Yep, it was a whole big run. Yeah. yeah, it was because that's how we. Uh, what what show did that used to be that they came? Uh, Dirty Glove Network. Yeah. Dirty Glove. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we saw we saw the Ed, Lodge Boys. Bell Isle Seven. Seven Mile Bell Isle. So yeah. when we saw the Lodge Boys video, we like yeah we got to shoot a video too. Like we had been it's crazy how life works because we had been like who can shoot us a video. Well, so, this was when for people you know. This was pre-DSLR. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. This was when you had to pay for a video. And until, <laughs> but but you could get, like, I got, like, a $1,500 camera that was, I mean, it doesn't look anywhere like the camera's not, does now, but it was okay. Yeah. And so you could do stuff, and it looked yeah. okay. And it was good for, like, you could You could TV, get a $700, yeah. $1,200 video, and it was okay looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it, you can get, I mean, our camera phone. <laughs> I shoot stuff on my camera phone that yeah. looks like a movie. Yeah. Right, yeah, technology. Yeah. Like, my high time. Has changed so boom, you shooting the videos for the Lodge Boys, Stretch Money. Uh, you did us, you did C Flame, uh, RIP Flame. Yeah, oh, I just want to backtrack. I mean, that uh, was it. This it was this. When did he get killed? It was the Christmas before just this Christmas, right? Well, it, I think it's been about two years. It's been about two years. No, yeah. it's been it was Christmas, so it's been a year and a half. It yeah. was not this, it was not yeah, yeah. six months ago, but it was 18 months yeah. ago. And for some reason, I'm ran, I was on GoFundMe Michigan or something, and I saw his yeah. sister had it up for his funeral expenses, and yeah. I, that was how I heard about it. And yeah, because you had wow. already been out here, right? Yeah, I was out here. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you, did they ever arrest any? Or you don't know what? To do? I ain't no telling, man. You know how the streets. You know how. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, nobody was arrested. Or you oh know. no, I don't even know. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's just an unfortunate situation. He's in his mother's house. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that's what I'm saying. Just an unfortunate situation. But uh, so after you started doing the videos, what made you say like, let me do a documentary? Well, my plan was, you know, the video was thing always. was always kind of temporary. Yeah. And then I finally said, well, let me let me jump in. But again, I didn't have any money, so movies cost a lot of money. And I, yeah. I didn't have a rich uncle to give me a million dollars. So I said, well, what? Okay, so I know I could, I'm good with info. At this point, I'm in graduate school, so I'm writing papers. I'm looking at information all the time, so I'm used to doing that. So I'm thinking, okay, I can do a documentary. Right. But what do I do a documentary in? What do I have? Okay, I'm in Detroit, the crime capital of America. Right. Maybe out, and then, you know, they, I came up with the title Murder City because that was the old. Yeah, that's what it used to be Detroit, called. Detroit, yeah. Murder City. So I knew that was a catchy title. Right. So I said, okay. And then I'm thinking, uh, Purple Gang, Jimmy Hoffa, YBI. There's all yeah. these different things, different eras, different ethnicities. Let me just do a little bit about each one and call it Murder City. That sounds like a great idea. Now, having never had made anything before, it was quite <laughs> quite a learning experience yeah. to go out and do it. But again, that just came out like, I didn't know what I, I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't know what I was doing. Obviously, I knew how to find interesting people and ask them good questions. Yeah. But, you know, 
I had just interviewed everybody for hours, yeah. and I just then had to like. And that was a crazy editing process. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. now I would say, okay, I know what I want the two of you to say. I might just come here and ask you one question. Yeah. And I don't. I mean, you might have other interesting things to say, but if they don't fit into my documentary, you know what you go. I, I just edit this. in my head now. Barely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I you know. Yeah, because we see you heating up with it. So. How was that experience like your first time? Like, was it how did you feel like during the process? Like, walk us through the process. Oh, it, was, it was, I mean, it was fun. I mean, so I was, I was saying, okay, let me be strategic and let me get, I'm gonna get some, some like scholar people, you know, like some a professor or something. Let me get a, let me get a journalist. Let me get some street guys if yeah. I can. You know, seven, I liked Seven the General just coming out yeah, rapping, yeah, yeah. and I knew he had just got out of prison. So I said, let me get a lot of different Mix perspectives. I knew that I was going to do a good job of being able to get the information. But that was also really fun, like just finding, oh, the, over here I can get all these pictures of from the 1930s. And over here I can get, you know, and then you notice things in the city you never noticed before. You drive down a certain street and you see some gang graffiti from right. the 80s that you never noticed written somewhere because you never had a you reason have, to look for it. Right. Now you notice and stuff that you're hearing people talk about and then you're looking and, at... And to, to tie in with the videos, this is a unique experience I got to have because I was... I got really hot doing the videos in Detroit. So I did videos in all over the city. Right. Every hood. So I had... The ability, I was in everybody's different neighborhood and I could be comfortable. Right, Which right. most, you can't really do because you're not, even if you might be the tough guy in your neighborhood, but they don't, might not welcome you somewhere else. Right, for they that test that. But yeah, they're yeah. paying, I'm not paying over there to be over there, they're paying me to come, so of course <laughs> right. they're going to, they I'm show always protected. Right, yeah. 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 So Bro I could go places, I could ask people questions, and so I got to see, you know, the whole city and realize, oh, this is like a commonality between what's going on. And, you know, then I, I always had a good knowledge of the history. So just finding some interesting people that were really great on camera and just opened up and told their stories. And I look back now, part, you know, part of being a making good documentary is when the people you're interviewing know that you know the What's story, going on? Yeah. then they're comfortable to open up. When you ask them stupid questions, they give you stupid answers. But when you ask them questions that makes them say, oh, wow, okay, he, he, he knows, knows who I am on. or yeah. he knows what's going on, they open up and they feel comfortable. Right, talking to you. And that go back to the economics thing in a sense because you knew statistically that if you knew what was going on already and you could explain it to them, so I'm you right. could, I'm, yeah, you could tell them some stuff they might not know by the numbers. Absolute, they might not by know. By the numbers, that's yeah, right. And, and one, then, you know, I, I experienced a lot of, you know, I lived on Monterey when I was a little kid where YBI was at, and my mother was buying heroin from them. So, right, I right. mean, I had so you experienced personal it, you lived experience it, yeah. with it. I also knew the historical context, so I could kind of put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Okay, so Murder City was the first documentary. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you, our, we talked amongst our, among ourselves one of the best documentaries, period, point blank, in that genre of documentaries is the Frank Matthews story. Oh, absolutely. And the Frank Matthews story is so important because that's the only gangster who kept it gangster solid all the way through. He didn't let nobody intimidate him. He didn't let nobody beat him. And to this day, he got away. How did you How did you come with that? Like, what made you research Frank Matthews? Because the first time I actually heard his name was, was in a Shine song. Yeah. Ducking and dodging young. the narcs like a young Frank Matthews. So I'm like, I wonder who Frank Matthews is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, boom, when I, I seen the documentary. My, my documentary had already come out. He got it from us. Okay. Because Frank Matthews, before we did the documentary... Frank Matthews, there was a little Wikipedia entry that had a few little things, and it wasn't... So I, so a fan of some of my other documentaries put me in contact with Ron Chapeziak, a, a crime author who I did it with, and he had been researching Frank Matthews somewhat. And as we started doing the documentary, it wasn't quite exactly clear if Frank Matthews <laughs> was even a real person. <laughs> Because, like, it was so unbelievable. Yeah, like... Like, there like, was some like a, guy, but, like, all these stories... It just... He was like a character out of a black exploitation movie. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he's a Mr. Big. He supplies 22 states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fights the man. He told the mafia, I'm going to kill you, Wops. And, yeah, you know, yeah. it just wasn't believable. But we came to find out... Like, this is the It's real all deal. true. Yeah. And more. Yeah, yeah. And then, like... 
that that documentary like really opened my eyes to how they downplay like the black gangster. You know what I'm saying? Because if any other race or or ethnicity supplied 22 states. You know what I'm saying? It's oh, only 50 states. Yeah. Like, he the gangster of the century. But they downplayed him so and much. And he did that without the support. So you got to remember, like, the mafia is a real thing. So yeah. if you come up in the ranks and you follow the rules and you're a, you're a made man and the Genovese family in New York, when you come to Detroit or Chicago or Miami, as they would say now in the rap industry, and check in, yeah. you get help. Someone's going to say, okay, if you get in trouble, call this cop and this lawyer and yeah. here's the judge you can pay off. Yeah. And, oh, you got some drugs you want to sell in town? Here, could just give us a cut and go over there. Yeah. Frank Matthews came to New York when he was like 20 years old from Durham, right. North Carolina, right. and just through meeting people and hustling. I mean, <laughs> pretty. And in so I don't know if you had a chance to watch American Dope season one. No, not yet. Episode three is called White Powder, Black Power. Oh, yeah. So I seen the, uh, what you put on uh, YouTube. Yeah. About that. So, yeah. so that episode, I kind of revisit some of the black gangster documentaries I did, but I try to I take them away from just being a gangster story and it's about the times the early Busy 70s in, yeah. and it's about how the black man was gaining some economic and political power in America and that went in the criminal world and the regular world but I also I came to a very disturbing I've, I've realized that like the first time a big amount of money came into the black community to a lot of different people was through Drugs, yeah, and it's that's, and like that's why. So when you look at what's going on, you know, in the quote unquote hood now, and you wonder like, why are people still obsessed? I With mean, this, Rick this Ross lifestyle. still dresses like Frank Lucas. That was fifty years ago. The Super <laughs> right. Fighter was fifty years ago. Right, right. It's because that was the first influx of money into the community, and people yeah. are still mesmerized that, yeah. by it. And so I, I came to find out that Frank Matthews, and I talk about this in White Powder, Black Power, the feds, and you have to take federal, because they're prosecuting people, you take it with a grain of salt, but there's nowhere, nowhere else to get a stat like this. They estimated that in 1971, one-third of all the heroin in the United States passed through his hands. That's crazy. But a lot of the heroin in the United States was coming from Ike Atkinson, who was the black Ike. soldier yeah, in right. Thailand that was sending right. it over. But um, Frank somehow made a connection directly with the Corsicans. Now, the Corsicans are the ones who would get the opium from Turkey or from Southeast Asia. Okay. They would take it to France, Marseille, France, process it into heroin. Okay. And you could buy a kilo of heroin in Marseille, France in 1970 for $5,000. They would smuggle it over to the United States, but they didn't want to sell one and two and three. They would bring hundreds at a time. Who can take it off their hands but the mafia? Mafia might pay ten or 15000 and they dilute it a little, sell it to the black and Puerto Rican dealers. Well, somehow Frank Matthews, he's the only one we have evidence that had a, got hooked up with the Corsicans, and he would just send... He send a couple million over to France. Yeah. One of the schemes that suppose—I mean, it sounds unbelievable, but it supposedly happens—and I illustrated in the documentary. The French, uh, the Corsican gangsters, found some old underwater mines from World War II that the Nazis had used to try to keep the Allies from landing on the coast of France. So they're like chains with a big hollow ball that would have had explosives in it, but yeah. the explosives are gone. They stuffed those with heroin, floated them across the Atlantic, <laughs> then they got to New York, scuba divers went and took the heroin out, and it was Frank Matthews' dope. That's yeah, that, that crazy. It sounds crazy, but, but that's, that's unbelievable. The federal, yeah, yeah, because the, they put it out there. I don't there. know <laughs> if it happened, but the fe- that, I mean, the federal government believed that, believes that yeah. that occurred. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. that, they probably had their hand in it somehow. Well, no, so there, was an, it, there was an informant. Yeah. Well, well, there was, well, then we can get into the whole CIA yeah. angle. Uh, we don't know. I don't. This is a whole nother can of worms, but it's interesting. Uh, I have in, in American Dope DEA agents, federal prosecutors. Now, these are not just somebody saying, oh, the CIA did this or that. DEA agents and federal prosecutors. I was about to make this huge bust of this or that. I go to work on Monday. The CIA's in my office and says, no. Keep it moving. Keep Get out of well, the way. Well, you know, we... Uh... And Frank... Ma- oh, just to tie into Frank Matthews. So when Frank Matthews was indicted, a lot of it was... Uh, the dope was coming from Venezuela, through Venezuela. And the federal prosecutor went into court 
or went into work on Monday, CIA was there and said, uh, all the people you indicted in Venezuela, eh, national security, yeah. you can't indict them. But right. you could have a nigga. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, because Frank was in New York and Frank was expendable. See, that's how the CIA is really smart how they set stuff up. Yeah. There's cutout people. So you might be working for the CIA. You don't, you don't even know. know. It's yeah, not that, you don't get called in a room. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Like right. Lee Harvey Oswald didn't get called in a room and said you're part of a grand conspiracy. Yeah. Well, you he know, was, we know firsthand because we uh, plugged in with the real freeway Ricky Ross. That's family. So he was the yeah, same thing. Yeah, he didn't know what was going on. He had no clue. Right. Until it's the same thing. On. He said, like, like Blandone would yeah. just call him and say, hey, don't go over here. He doesn't know where days. that information is right. coming from, but it's coming from the U.S. government. Yeah. It's not the U.S. government wants to protect Rick Ross personally. Whoever is turning yeah. the money in yeah. is to be protected. Yeah. So the Frank Matthews story, it was, it, was, um, it was a part in the Frank Matthews story where he bumped into some guys from Detroit in a jail cell in Las Vegas. Yeah. And that's my other favorite yeah. documentary. Motown yeah. Mafia. <laughs> Motown Mafia now. The reason that that's my favorite, I had no clue about that. Like, No, that's, you know, it's funny, neither did I. Yeah, and a lot, that's what I'm about to say. Everybody, because er, once I seen it, everybody I showed, they come back like, I didn't even know that was going on. And Eddie Jackson and uh, Courtney But if you Owens, know real old street guys who really were somebody, they all know who yeah, they were. Right, yeah, right, right, right. Because yeah. that... Now, how did you... What made you go that direction with that documentary? Not Who introduced you to that story? Okay, so uh, one of my... The documentary I did after Murder City, Roland, which might be my personal favorite. That's the YBI one, right? Well, see, people call it whatever they're interested in. It's, yeah. No, YBI <laughs> was one story. Best Friends was, was a story. Yeah. White Boy Rick was a story. It's yeah. called Roland, the fall of the auto industry and the rise of the drug economy in Detroit. So there's a, it's about that Detroit's economic decline. Yeah. yeah, it's about the 70s and 80s, Detroit's economic decline and how it became like the number one drug city. Oh, just as a side note, right now in the United States, the lowest street heroin prices of any city in the country is Detroit. <laughs> and heroin does not enter into the country in Detroit. Right, exactly. Heroin's cheaper on the streets of Detroit than New York, Miami, Houston, Chicago. L.A. Right, Why right. the hell is that? Because so many people involved in the drug business. Yeah. So I was screening Roland, and a guy shows up. I'm hey, I'm Courtney Brown Jr. <laughs> I got a book out. I'd like you to read it. We I might want to do a documentary. Well, that was the son of Courtney Brown Sr., who right. was the number two man to Eddie Jackson, and we ended up doing the documentary Motown Mafia. And actually, Courtney is is, is a friend of mine now, and we talk. You know, we'll probably do some more stuff. And, yeah, that d- and, and for those of you that like Motown Mafia, in uh, uh, White Powder, Black Power, uh, Courtney and I, in the la- be- since Motown Mafia came out, we found some old film archives mm-hmm. at the Walter Ruther Library in Detroit. And like Channel 7 or somebody had donated all this footage from the early 70s that they had never used. So we have probably 10 minutes of interviews with Eddie Jackson and yeah, Courtney seen that, Brown. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, I seen that on, uh, I seen, when you put that on the YouTube. Yeah, well, we have asked, it's, so, yeah, What did they ask him? Uh, something about Where his, does your money come Eddie from? Said, uh, he said, pays taxes. Yeah, I, yeah, pay, yeah, right, yeah. I, I pay my taxes. So that's really interesting to have uncovered, because there is no 10 minutes of Nicky Barnes in 1977 or Frank Lucas or Frank Matthews. There's just photos. Right. We actually have... Minutes and minutes, not just a snippet of them saying one thing, a lot of them talking, and it's really fascinating. Right, now speaking of photos, the famous photo of uh, Frank Lucas with his uh, with his mink to the floor and all that in his hat, what people don't realize on the opposite side of that photo, it was like Bigger six, photo. Yeah, the real photo the is, Detroit people. is the, the people from Detroit, and it was a bunch of them with yes. all of that on, with, yeah. with the Gators on. See, people don't, um, I think people need to see uh, all of your documentaries, but the reason I think they need to see Motown Mafia is because they don't really understand how real Detroit was like a factor or they, they understand they just don't acknowledge it because everybody because of the uh, the Nicky Barnes and how he was on the cover of the uh, Time magazine the well New you know York what Times happens in New York and LA is always going to be the biggest news because that's the media center I mean that's where right. the biggest magazines the biggest newspapers the movie studios are so that's just the nature of the beast but the Motown Mafia thing is really interesting because um you know, Detroit was 
economically was really like the promised land for African Americans. They were doing better there than anywhere, anywhere else. Country, yeah. Yeah. But just like the undercover DEA agent John Sutton says, the real life shaft, he said, yeah. I immediately detected that something was wrong with Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he stepped in and knew that something was he going said, on. He there. Said, this is a guy that worked undercover all across the world. He said, I've worked in Nickerson Gardens in LA and Baltimore and Calexico, Mexico. I mean, this guy's done undercover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I've never been afraid except in Detroit. <laughs> right, because, and it's I refer back here. to like when you got uh, people like the best friends who ain't afraid to do whatever. And like, yeah, and these are real people. Like, people don't understand the, how real uh, The this most shit ironically get. named gang in American history, the best friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> <They> definitely were. <laughs> to quote, uh, to, in an in a ironic statement of uh, Boone, the hitman I yeah, interviewed, oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. says, uh, so kids, listen up. You can't be best friends when you're killing each other. Yeah, exactly. Not a lot of your uh, I, so gangland and stuff like that. I noticed that when they talk about Detroit, you the go-to guy, and then another. Bernstein, that's what I was about to yeah, say. Yeah, but Bernstein. we both. I've been turning down appearing on stuff. Yeah. Because okay, I got on a couple, and my face is seen. But but um, they really just those stories aren't very well done. Aren't yeah. very well done. Having worked with. Uh, some of those big networks now, they just assign some 32-year-old producer. They look up some, oh, do go to Detroit and do this. And they try to mine us for all the information. Yeah. And they don't really put any heart into it. So I've stopped um, doing those. But, yeah, Scott Bernstein, yeah, yeah. my partner, he just consulted on the White Boy Rick movie, yeah. which was shot. That's in the Matthew McConaughey plays yeah, White Boy say, Rick's yeah. father. Yeah. is going to be coming out in the fall. And so you know what's crazy, right? So he get a story, Frank. Lucas get a story everybody get a story they don't want to do Rick movie like a, a full feature film movie and uh, I find it like I because all of those stories are cool but like he really did the research himself to show hey I really didn't know what was going on I'm funding this stuff that kept the contract going and then I get all this time y'all pay the guy who tell on me which was Blandone and just deport him and they st he's still he out there know, working he today. He wasn't even deported. Yeah, Blandon, he, yeah, he, no, no, no. He, Blandon was still in the country yeah. at one point. I mean, they didn't even take his green card. <laughs> yeah, uh, they might have gave him a green card yeah. for that. I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, actually, yeah, he did not get deported. Yeah. And, and the crazy part about all of that is, it's like. They glorify the actual, the snitching part of it. That's just what it boiled down to because, like, everybody loved Frank Lucas, but if you watch the movie, that wasn't, you know. Oh, no, they changed the, the movie, and the movie they had him that he he snitched on. Police. police, yeah. He didn't, there's nowhere in the records is there any evidence that Frank Lucas ever snitched on one police officer. But there is, in every, first of all, in every case he was ever in, there were Italians involved, and he was getting the dope from them. So yeah. he, they, they stole Ike Atkinson's story about him going to Thailand. He yeah. didn't do that. Right. He did, He went and visited there once, but he didn't yeah. put a connection together. But, uh, yeah, Frank Lucas was a huge snitch. Right. You want to hear how bad of a snitch he was? He put a snitching case together for, uh, well, and let this be a cautionary tale for you would-be drug dealers. One of, <laughs> one of Frank Lucas's snitching cases was... All of these guys were buying their cut from the same person. The cut, not, not the, the drugs, but what they used the to cut, cut it with. And they didn't know each other. They just were capping the cut from the same pharmacist or whoever he was. And Frank Lucas put them all together, and they gave them all a heroin conspiracy case together, even though they didn't know each other, and they didn't even buy heroin from the same person. That's they bought crazy. cut from the same person. That That's was just crazy. one of Frank Lucas's many cases. Frank Lucas is currently... He may have just completed his probation, or he might still be on it, for stealing his son's disability checks and cashing them. <laughs> what kind of guy Frank Lucas is? <laughs> and they glorified it. I was sitting in Ike Atkins' living room with Ike yeah. when Richie Roberts, who's the real-life cop that uh, right. Russell Crowe paid in a movie, yeah. called Ike and said, Ike, you'll never believe what just happened. Yeah. Frank just got arrested for stealing his son's disability check. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I had read uh, an article by Ike one time, and he said, like, he knew I guess Frank knew how much the money will weigh but you always got to look at it because it'll be dollar bills if, oh, yeah, if, yeah, if you yeah, let them yeah, leave yeah. you'll find out it's just dollar bills and that's crazy and they just glorify that when it's like I mean the dope game cutthroat and rough Listen, you have to, let, want, look, to, to, to go away from the dope game and to go to Hollywood I've you know, I do my own thing, but I've now, I'm out here, I've been on the outskirts of some deals, I almost got TV, movie, blah, 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 so I've kind of seen how things work. If you are going to the movie thinking that it's supposed to tell you some information, 
It's supposed to be helpful. It's supposed to show you how life is. You already messed up. <laughs> you already right, this is pure You know what a movie is? It's a $100 million Twinkie. Yeah. It's some guys sat around in a room and said, "How can we make some money?" Yeah. That's all. It's not a part. It's not history. It's not meant to yeah. be. Yeah, and that's they, why there has to in a movie there has to be a hero. That's why they always put a cop in something. So they 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 took the Frank Lucas character for the American Gangster, cleaned them all up, put them in the form of Denzel. First of all, Denzel Washington shouldn't have played them. Right. Denzel Washington is too yeah, charismatic. That, yeah. You should yeah. should have had some slimy, ugly guy play him. Yeah. They 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 made they didn't even make it really about Frank Lucas. It's about the white cop. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And then they make him be the 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 black criminal gets arrested at the end, but then the the white cop helps Save him get him out and their buddies and yeah. like it's just the best of friends. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's weird. And then you did another one uh, stand out for Detroit. You did the T. Stucky story. So, like, how did that come about? Because you, like, I see you would be with AK a lot. And for y'all don't, who don't know, everybody who liked Blade, AK was like his go-to producer. Yeah, that was the he, sound. He, yeah, he made the Blade sound, not the Street Lord sound, but the Blade, the blade sound. Yeah, it was Blade was branched AK. off on his own. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so AK is a friend of mine. Um, we met. I did some videos for him, and then we just you know became personal friends. And yeah, did a lot of projects over the years, and then um, I just thought that that was a story that was it was funny at how how uh, things evolve, right? So that's a really well done, that's one of, in terms of how, you know how much is sold is yeah. it's probably the the least yeah. is because the what was such a sh um, what was so interesting about it that you had a, a head of a rap label who really supposedly was convicted of killing people and selling right, drugs right, right. was so shocking. Well, that's the whole music industry that's what now. Everybody rap about, right? Yeah. Well, some of them are even you know Jimmy Hinchman. I yeah. mean, some of them really are that. Yeah, is they really what they say they are? So. I like that because, like, uh, of course, being around music, like, I remember T. Stuckey as an artist with Scarface and everything on his album. So to actually see, like, a backstory is coming from somebody credible, I could trust what you put out. Absolutely. Right? And AK, I mean, AK was part I mean, of he grew it. up yeah. with, I mean, you know. Yeah. He so, did the music for him, but he also grew up with him. So right. absolutely. It's yeah. So I liked it that. So, and you, you said that's actually, like, the least selling one, uh, what you do? Probably so, yeah. Uh, but it's really good. Yeah. I'm about to say, I can't see why. I mean, but something got to be the least, but that's probably one of the ones that over time, it'll just grow crazy. Listen, I mean, everything I do, you know, I, I put work into the same thing with my videos. You treat everything like it's special and yeah. people discover it because when you start trying to imagine like, oh, the people are going to like this or they're going to like that. Yeah. Now, just do what you are interested in and are passionate about and sometimes the thing that you think is going to be the biggest is yeah. the least and the thing that you think is the least is the biggest so right. just keep working and do good work okay so let's talk about American Dope now because now you're going to own something new American Dope uh, it's on Hulu right oh sorry my bad Amazon it's on Amazon you can also yeah. purchase it off the website AmericanDope.com where yeah. I also have some clothing available right I seen that that's a nice jacket you got on I seen you got the backpacks uh, you got some nice shirts like you really take time which what you do and you it's quiet. Yeah, I, I'm. It's kind of a slow rollout because I, you know, I'm a one man band, but um, I did well in Bitcoin last year. So yeah, I, I heard got that. Little, got, I little, heard got, that. got little chips yeah, now, yeah. but um, so yeah, I'm building American Dope as a platform to do some other stuff. But the series American Dope season one is three episodes: Cold War, Heroin, Heat, which starts before World War II and goes up to the Vietnam War and talks about how the fight against communism was intertwined with the heroin business from before yeah. World War II up into the Vietnam War and culminated in the big influx of heroin, which is what precipitated the rise of the black drug kingpins, Frank right. Lucas, Motel Mafia, like we were talking about. Yeah. Episode two, Acid Dreams, is about LSD. And I get really political with this stuff and I talk about how... i seen that. Just I watched as, that one, that Acid Dreams. Just as in the black community... Just as like the black militant stuff was getting really extreme, suddenly there's all this heroin, exactly, and that calms you down. And in the in the, among the white student population who are getting really unruly on the college campuses, who didn't want to buy into, oh, I just want to get a corporate job and get a get a car and a house and live in the suburbs. They were questioning the system. Suddenly a drug appears for them, LSD, which makes you say, oh, well, nothing matters. You don't have to vote. Just take this and go inward. And then that's another tool of control. Right. And then episode three is white power.
Proud of Black Power. I'm working on episode four right now, Cocaine Condor, which is about the cocaine business that culminates in the Contra cocaine scandal, Rick Ross, which you know about. Episode five, New Crack City, where I focus on the Chambers Brothers <laughs> yeah, in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. And episode six talks about um, the future of drugs, psychedelics, hallucinogens, and the Mexican cartel situation. Cool, cool. So what made you want to uh, put the clothing with that? Because like I seen you had an art show, too, with that, right? So I did a really cool event, if I may say so myself. Yeah, and I'm going to actually right. take this. I think I'm going to do it around the country at the end of the year. So it's called a pop-up museum and art show. So two of my uh, editors are artists in their own right. Uh, uh, Ro Miles, Miles Highlife's his name on Instagram. He's did a lot of the drawing stuff. He did the animation in... Uh, in uh, American Dope and some other stuff. And then Shuttershot 45, he did some editing and some shooting for me. He has a lot of photographs that he had taken of the street life and drugs. And I said, well, wouldn't it be cool to take, to make like museum-like exhibits from some of the information and the source documents I used in my research for American Dope and make like a little mobile museum and then combine that with the artwork of two of the guys that helped me in the, the editing yeah. process and it's, it was a really cool event and I'm going to do bigger versions of it around the country and so I, when when that's coming to the D when you're bringing that home probably in the fall in the fall for sure yeah I'm getting geared up you know probably towards the holiday you know November or something but I'm I'm doing that like we had a we had a great success in yeah LA. one of my we had like actually people. from Easter came he came uh, Chuck oh okay. I think he said he said something to you but you know probably you'll be so, busy yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that it was a stuff. cool event and that was only that was like the trial run and that was yeah. only a small version of what it's gonna be yeah. and that came out well so yeah. I'm really excited about really making that a big thing so so, uh, so you already got our already ready up to six episodes so so season one is out right now yeah. on americandope.com and on amazon yeah and then i season two the next three episodes are mostly edited i'm finishing those up yeah. so i'm gonna have that out in a couple months okay okay and after uh is, is is it exclusively amazon or you go put it out all together it, it rolls out it's on google play it'll be on itunes and then they'll all always be on my website also okay yeah yeah and yeah. Then are you gonna offer them on dvd like limited edition type of yeah i think i'm gonna do, do some uh, blu-ray some limited edition Blu-ray season ones and season two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I say DVD? Is it? Well, that's <laughs> still a Blu-ray. DVD, yeah, Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's next after that? Like, it seemed like you got it. Milligram. Gotta, yeah. So, what's Milligram that? is an episodic fictional uh, show I've written that is about what's going on. I, I play the lead, the lead, one of the lead characters named Milligram Sam. Uh, who like <laughs> sells pills yeah. and uh, me and a drug dealer from Detroit named Slim are in a love triangle with an Instagram thought <laughs> slash model yeah. slash prostitute yeah. and um, some real life shit that can yeah. be yeah. and it's about what's going on in the underworld now it's about pills and fentanyl and mailing marijuana yeah. and yeah, lean yeah because the underworld now is just so different very different it, it, it's, yeah like a lot of people is getting it in the underworld and it's just like what but it's the very fuck is, different yeah it's I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a different, it's a different, different mindset. So when can we expect that? Uh, we're going to be, I'm going to probably start shooting that in a couple months and hopefully have that out around end of the year, top of the year. Top. Now with the clothes from American Dope, that's just exclusively through the website? Right now. Yeah. Um, I'm also, I'm working on some deals. I mean, that's going to roll out over time, but the clothes are actually nice. Like, yeah, yeah. The stuff is like, is dope. It's like, dope, yeah. I mean, I, I'm into clothes. I mean, I have some nice clothes and I swear, this when I walk around and it's like with everybody that has a t-shirt, like I get more compliments. It's artwork from Miles and some of the photos we took from Adam and uh, the clothes are dope. I got like this purple jacket I got on yeah. right now. That's some artwork from Miles but I got a, I got chucks coming that match that this. Um, I got yeah, it's, it's, I got cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Check it out, AmericanDope.com. Yeah, so now you mentioned Bitcoin earlier. Like, how early were you on that? About two and a half years ago. I mean, I was getting Bitcoin. It was about 400 bucks Ethereum when, when it was like seven or 12. Yeah. I mean, I bought a little then. I was buying up. and Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So what made you, so you think cryptocurrency, like, actually the new thing, the next thing? Uh, so if a federal prosecutor were to be conducting a Ponzi scheme case right now, the way that he would describe a Ponzi scheme to the jury would exactly match what Bitcoin and Ethereum are. Yeah. Uh, in terms of investment vehicles. Yeah. So, no. 
<laughs> but the underlying technology, which is called blockchain. blockchain. So for those of you that are interested, learn about blockchain. That's not just the future, it's the present. Large companies are using it right now, and it's an amazing technology. Um, if there is an Illuminati in the world, they would be the bankers and the people that control the money. Right. So if you think they're going to let some new money appear that they don't control, you can forget it. Right. So what's going on now is that they're doing, it's sort of like a grand proof of concept. So they're looking at what goes right and what goes wrong with Bitcoin and Ethereum and how people use it. And if it's determined that the world economy needs a cryptocurrency, we will wake up one day and we will see that Chase and Bank of America and Deutsche Bank and the biggest bank in Switzerland and here and there have created their own and the U.S. government and the European Union are on board with it right. and it's going to have insurance and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be regulated. That's right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, two years. It'll be like, yeah, it's yeah, not going to be long. But I, I, I made, you know, what I made and I got out of it, but I had a hundred Ethereum stolen from me. Oh, yeah. What what they call that? Mining or something? No, 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 no. Ethereum. No, I had it stolen from me. Oh. Somebody, you, uh, cautionary tale, keep your business off of social media. Yeah. I was bragging about making money in Bitcoin and all that on social media, and somebody must have looked at my, I don't know, my Facebook profile, something. They got my phone number. They got enough info about me that they were able to call Sprint, yeah. convince them that they were me, get my phone taken off the Sprint network, get a new phone put on. Then they were able to reset my Gmail password, look through my Gmail, and I, by coincidence, had just emailed my father some passwords. Yeah. But I didn't say, like, password, but whoever it was they knew what to look for yeah. and they went into this one place where I had 100 Ethereum and took them yeah. and at one point Ethereum's were $1,400 each yeah. it's $140,000 yeah damn and it ain't no way you could get that back because nope. FBI didn't know. even call me back yeah <laughs> I wanted to tell on somebody for once in my life I've been told that. I yeah, called well, FBI yeah. cyber crimes I yeah. didn't even get a call back that's because you've been doing these documentaries yeah, they're maybe. like oh you huh they you probably huh? did it yeah that was probably them you know yeah. what I'm saying so well no actually I have a good to be honest you were joking about that but we have a great you know like scott bernstein mentioned i mean i talk to federal law enforcement all the time i yeah. mean it's not the individual officers well local there is a there's a huge difference between feds and local police yeah in my experience feds are much higher quality and they may do things that are wrong because they're enacting the policy of the institute that they're a part of right uh, a lot of them want to see the truth come out. Yeah. If you're a guy who's spent his life working for the DEA because you think drugs are bad and you are about to, like I have, the guy talks about in, in America Dope, and you're about to go bust the biggest, the biggest heroin lab yeah, in yeah. Thailand and the CIA is there and says, oh, don't do it. Yeah. You're that mad. change your perspective. Yeah. You're mad. And you're mad. And I you mean, want people to know that. That's like, right. Yeah. Like, listen, this is what's happening. Yep, like, that's right. We putting our life on the line. There's my so life. They believe it. Yeah, they believe and it. Then, and they're going after real bad guys. Yeah. You know, like, you know, Chinese gangsters in the hills of Thailand that yeah. are killing peasants, yeah. flooding the streets with, you know, with, with poison. Real, 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 real bad guys. Like, we really want world domination Absolutely. With, with this one drug. We Absolutely. want like cocaine. We want this heroin Absolutely. from this region to rule the world Absolutely. so we can be rich. That stuff really happens. So, yeah. American Dope is on Amazon. It's yeah. on AmericanDope.com right now. Yeah. And uh, hit us with your social media so everybody can follow you. Instagram is Al Profit. Okay. And uh, YouTube is youtube.com slash Al Profit. And if you're interested in my stuff, I got tons of little short content. I have lots of, like, uh, I've been putting up the whole uncut interviews from people I interviewed in Motown Mafia. So yeah. I have long, hour-long interviews with people. So people you may have seen in one of my documentaries and said, oh, boy, they're interesting. Yeah. Well, I got... Long, long clips. We're talking you, uh, about all kinds of stuff. We just did uh, Real Rum from yeah. uh, Banging on Wax. Yep. So, so we, we actually. Work, oh, I'm working on a project called Gangsters Rap yeah. about how uh, murder in the black community has been monetized by corporate America through via rap gangster music. rap. And that, that's that's actually so true. Like when you look back at the like. So I stopped doing. I mean, when I. St I stopped doing videos for a couple of reasons, but one of them definitely was right when I stopped was when the 
okay, of course, guns were always there. We were really, it was drug dealers, but that wasn't on camera. And right when I was stopping, it was when the whole, hey, let's hold the gun up in the video and aim it at the camera. And I was like, I'm not, I can't. I'm on the other side of the camera. Well, I was just like, I'm not going to like, I'm not perpetuating this. I mean, I'll be ignorant to a degree, but like, you got to have some type of limits about everything. Yeah, you got 10-year-olds running around with AK. Well, no, when I had a, I was, and then this was at the time I was popular as Al Prophet in Detroit. And you know, I'm on the street that I know people and I have 16-year-olds coming up saying, hey, you want me to go get the AK and hold it up? And I'm thinking, you're asking me that? Like, I'm supposed to say yes? Yeah. It's time for me to not participate in this anymore. Right, right. So Even though it cost me some money in the short term. Right. right. Sometimes but you, know, you got to take one step forward to take 20, one step back to take 20 steps forward. Right. So uh, what's the, what's the, what's the uh, projected release for the, uh, the Gangster Rap documentary? Late this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a lot of work coming, man. Like, you always got allies in us. Like, not just because you shot the first video, but... Hey, I'm glad to see you. Work, got, I'm, I was totally surprised to hear from... I mean, not anything bad but you know just to be like hey we're in LA doing a podcast I was like oh wow yeah, so yeah. congratulations to you guys yeah, we appreciate that we appreciate that man cause you know the motto we live by is uh, I, I want, want for my brother what I want, want for myself and that's like we yeah we twins so people automatically think we talking about each other you mean all, all, that's all everybody people, yeah. you doing something sure. good it's like hey I'm a champion you like I champion Somebody I don't know. Well, you know. understand real business. Like a real businessman or a real human being knows that it really you should think about what can I do for you? Yeah. Because then that way, when the phone rings and you see my number, you always want to answer because yeah. you know Al's calling about something good. Right. Yeah. How can we help each other? That's the first. Like any, anytime I meet people, I say, well, how can we help each other? Because if I can only, if one of us can only yeah, benefit, it's not going to be worth yeah, it. Yeah. So it's not going to be last. worth any yeah. conversations. Right. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Right. So uh, check out American Dope. He got a bunch of uh, new stuff coming, but also go back make sure y'all if you've never seen the Frank Matthews story that is a much if you think you a gangster running around doing your thing and you never heard the name Frank Matthews you should be hurt and, and and if you're from Detroit and you think you got the bag and you never heard of Motown Eddie Jackson, and yeah, yo, so Brown, like I was floored because it was so much history in that. Even when they said, "Yo, we the first two black families to live in Southfield," and they didn't want that. And like yep. I like Courtney, he say, "Yeah, man, I was gonna go back and drive the bus, and I just went over there." He yeah. said, just, "Just be my second in command." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's no. love. That they don't them dudes loved each other. And for they're him. still yeah. together. The Brown family is still like I said. I'm friends with Courtney Brown Jr. and his five. I've eaten out with his father many yeah. times, and uh, yeah. they're around and they're doing very well. Yeah. Courtney yeah. Brown Jr. actually has a coffee company. He partnered with a. Uh, Angolan friend of his and they bought land in Angola and they grow coffee in Angola and sell African coffee in various cafes in the United States. That that's is, dope. That's, that's dope. Level. See, that's so is, uh, level. Is, is Courtney, is the junior located yeah. in Detroit still? He's back and forth Detroit, Miami. Maybe, yeah, maybe you can plug Detroit us with him so we can get him on the, sh- uh, on the show to talk about the coffee. Just strictly Absolutely. the coffee. We ain't got to talk about it. You know what I'm uh, saying? Yep. Send me a text yeah, and I'll text his number. Yeah, that's crazy. That coffee, that's crazy. Like That's so, next level. You know It is. No, it is. And it's from, it's the first uh, coffee produced in Africa in a while. I mean, even though coffee originally comes from Africa, uh, first coffee produced by, I can think, Africans in Africa. Africa okay. there's, there's Ethiopian coffee, but it's owned by outside corporate yeah. interests. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you can always follow us at TCE Pod. That's on the Instagram and Twitter. TCE Pod. If you wanna, if you wanna be a part of the show, or you wanna advertise on the show, or you just wanna say, hey, I've been listening. You can uh, reach us at pr at tcohh pr at tcohh And like we always say, I want for my brother what I want for myself. myself.